0: We saw last week that they are getting by in the present, but they have no prospects for the future. They're looking for someone who can provide rest and security for them. And they've found a man who may be able to help them. His name is Boaz. And he's not only a rich man and a good man, he's also a redeemer. That is, he has certain responsibilities to members of his clan. Last week, we saw Ruth approach Boaz and ask him to marry her. She was bold. And she was bold because she knew him and she trusted him. But all the same, our passage last week ended with uncertainty. Boaz explained to Ruth that, yes, he was a Redeemer, but there was another Redeemer, one who was a closer relative of Naomi's dead husband. The first right and responsibility to redeem fell on that man, not Boaz. Boaz promised to approach the other man and he went off to do that. Ruth and Naomi just had to sit and wait. And our passage last week ended with the two ladies waiting. So this morning we come to the final chapter of the book. And we come to it with an unanswered question. If this book is about a Redeemer, who is the Redeemer going to be? Now, I know most of you have read this book before. You know who the Redeemer is. But don't be so sure of yourself. Because chapter 4 presents us with three Redeemers. Three genuine Redeemers. So even after we've read this chapter, we're still left with the question... If this book is about a redeemer, who is that redeemer? Let's read Ruth chapter 4. And if you haven't turned there yet, it's on page 269 in the church Bible. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it. Because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, "'Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi "'all the property of Elimelech, Kileon, and Machlon. "'I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite's, "'Machlon's widow, as my wife, "'in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property "'so that his name will not disappear from among his family "'or from the town records. "'Today you are witnesses.' "'Then the elders and all those at the gate said, "'We are witnesses.' May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratha and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. This is God's word. The town of Bethlehem was like other towns in the ancient world. The place where things happened was the town gate. The gate was the equivalent of a town square, a town hall, and a town courthouse all rolled into one. It was the marketplace of the town. And it was the place for business deals and legal proceedings to take place. So there were benches at the town gate for the town elders. They were like the town council. The gate was also the place to meet people. Anyone going in or out of the town had to go through the gate. So considering what important business Boaz has to attend to, it's natural that we read in verse 1, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Boaz finds the redeemer who's a closer relative of Naomi's dead husband. We're never given this other redeemer's name. But Boaz finds him, and then he calls over ten of the town elders to act as witnesses. And he goes on to present the other redeemer with an opportunity. In verse 3, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Now, if you've been following the story over recent weeks, this is going to strike you as a bit strange. Boaz says nothing about Ruth. Instead, he talks about a piece of land that we've never heard of before. And the mention of this land might bring a question into our minds. Haven't we been hearing all about Naomi's poverty? Has she just been acting poor while actually owning land all this time? Well, the precise details here are a bit obscure. But commentators seem to agree that Naomi doesn't actually have the land at this point. Remember, chapter 1 told us, That as a result of famine, Naomi and her family left Israel to go and live in Moab. It's most likely the land was sold before they left. They went to Moab because they had nothing left in Israel. Now, in our society today, that would be the end of the matter. You had land, you sold it, it's gone. Forget it. But things were meant to be different in Israel. When God first gave his people the land, it was divided up among the twelve tribes of Israel. And within each of those tribes, the clans of that tribe were given land. Now, of course, God understood that some people would prosper, and other people would go through hard times. He knew that some people would end up having to sell the land that they had. But God was clear there were to be no permanent losses in Israel. No tribe or clan or family were to lose their land forever. And one of the means of reclaiming land was through kinsmen redeemers. Those were individuals who bought back land that their kinsmen had lost. A kinsman can either be a relative or simply a member of the same tribe or clan. And that's the background to what Boaz is saying here. Naomi's family has lost land, which means that their clan has lost land. And now that Naomi's back, the land needs to be redeemed for Naomi and for the clan. So when verse 3 says Naomi is selling the land, it doesn't mean she's going to get the money for it it means she'll give the Redeemer rights to the land. Whoever buys the land back for the clan can also use the land and profit from the land. And Boaz says to this other Redeemer, will you redeem it? Now, as Boaz has presented the situation so far, it's a very attractive opportunity. Naomi, remember, is an old lady, and she has no children who will grow up and claim back the rights to the land. If this redeemer buys the land, it will basically become his, permanently. He pays an initial price for it, and then he enjoys a lifetime of profitable harvests from the land. He'll make his money back pretty quickly. And the land will stay in his family, because Naomi's family will die out when she dies. All this man has to worry about is feeding Naomi until she dies. It's a sweet deal for this guy. So he jumps on it at the end of verse 4. I will redeem it. But at this point, Boaz throws in what Americans would call a curveball. He adds a piece of information that changes the whole scenario. If we use the translation that's in the NIV footnote, verse 5 reads like this. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you acquire Ruth the Moabite's, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. That's the curveball. Ruth comes with the property. And that changes the whole situation. Why? Because whoever redeems the land also marries Ruth. And any children that come through Ruth are going to be seen as Naomi's grandchildren. And when they grow up, they'll claim the land back from the Redeemer. That's what it means to maintain the name of the dead with his property. The land belongs to Elimelech's family. So as long as he still has a family, the land is theirs. Suddenly, what just a moment ago looked like a sure way to increase the Redeemer's wealth has just turned into a call to make a very big sacrifice. Now the deal involves paying for the land and then supporting Naomi's growing family and then losing the land. Any profit for the Redeemer is highly unlikely. In fact, losses are almost certain. So we're told in verse 6, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. The sacrifice is too much for this redeemer. He figures he's going to end up with less than he has at the moment. So he says, I'm out. Now, even if some of the business details might be a little confusing to us, the man's reaction here is crystal clear. The cost of redemption is one that he is not willing to pay. And to get out of his redemption duties, he performs what seems to us a very bizarre ritual. And apparently, even at the time this book was being written, it would have seemed bizarre because the writer has to explain it in verse 7. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Handing over your sandal is a way of saying, you now have the legal right here. And here's my sandal as proof that I'm foregoing my right. Remember, this is a public action. The town elders are watching. So this probably avoided any comeback afterwards about who had said what. If the first man was seen giving Boaz his sandal, he couldn't claim afterwards that he'd been misheard or misunderstood. Everybody had seen him hand over his sandal and hop off home. Back in chapter 1, we were introduced to Naomi's two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. When Naomi left Moab to return to Israel, she released both of them from their obligation to her. She told them to go home. She gave them an out. And when Orpah took the opportunity to go home, the narrator didn't criticize her. Orpah did the natural thing. It was Ruth who did the extraordinary thing and stayed with Naomi. And here again, there's no criticism of this other redeemer. He looked at the cost and he decided the cost was too much. But his refusal to redeem only highlights the extraordinary thing that Boaz is doing. Look at verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Machlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Machlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Boaz shows no concern for building up his own estate. From his perspective, Ruth is not the drawback to this deal. He's buying the land to get Ruth. And if you're worrying that Ruth seems like a bit of property in these verses, remember she proposed to Boaz in chapter 3. She wants to be acquired by him. And Boaz shows here that he's committed to continuing Elimelech's family line. In verse 10, he says he's doing this in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. It's hard for us to grasp how important it was to continue the family line in this culture. It was considered a tragedy if a family died out. It was a sign of God's faithfulness when there were heirs to continue the line. Boaz is a true redeemer. He understands the personal cost of what he's doing, and he does it anyway. He does it to save a family from extinction. The first part of chapter 4 shows us Boaz paying the price of faithful love. And in response to what they've seen, the elders and the crowd at the gate say in verse 11, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family line be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. As far as Boaz is concerned, he's acting for the good of one family, but the people have something much bigger in mind. They're looking beyond Elimelech's family to the whole nation. In verse 11, their prayer is that Ruth will be like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. The mention here of Rachel and Leah takes us way, way back. Back to Genesis chapter 12, before the Israelites even existed, God made a promise to a man called Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, God said, and I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From Abraham, God promised to produce a people who would bless all the peoples. You might know how the story went on. It took a while for things to get going. But eventually, Abraham had a son, Isaac. And Isaac's son Jacob ended up with two wives, Rachel and Leah. And from those two wives, with a little help from their maids, came 12 sons. And from those 12 sons came the 12 tribes of Israel, a great nation. So here... When the crowd speaks about Rachel and Leah building up the house of Israel, they don't mean laying bricks and pouring cement. Rachel and Leah built Israel by the children they produced. Now remember the time period of the book of Ruth. This is the time of the judges, it's the ancient equivalent of the Wild West. Israel is in social and religious chaos. So the crowd are asking something big here. May Ruth be the new Rachel and Leah. May she produce offspring that will once again build up God's people. May her offspring redeem God's people from rebellion and chaos. That's way beyond what Boaz has in mind. It's way beyond what Boaz himself can do. He can't redeem God's people. So even as the crowd bless Boaz for the redemption he is bringing, they're looking beyond Boaz. They're looking for a greater redeemer. Now, of course, the crowd is aware that Boaz's marriage to Ruth is a bit scandalous. This book has emphasized over and over that Ruth is a Moabite. She's one of the hated enemies of Israel. And yet here they are, praying the Lord would build up his people through this Moabite. They know this is a bit scandalous. So in verse 12, they point to another child born in scandalous circumstances, Perez. The circumstances of his birth are about as rough as it gets. Genesis chapter 38 tells us that he was conceived when Tamar posed as a prostitute and lured her father-in-law Judah into her bed. Like I said, that's about as rough as it gets. But despite having a scandalous start in life, Perez apparently became a man of honor. And from his descendants came Boaz, who we have seen is certainly a man of honor. The point is, by mentioning Perez, the crowd are silencing any objections to their prayer for Ruth. They're saying, yes, she's a Moabite. Yes, it's a big ask for God to redeem his people through Ruth's offspring. But it wouldn't be the first time God had brought good out of scandalous circumstances. Boaz the Redeemer is a descendant of Tamar. So, God can also bring a redeemer from Ruth the Moabite. Boaz is a good man. He's a man willing to pay the price of faithful love. Boaz teaches us what a true redeemer is like. But Boaz is not the redeemer. The people are looking beyond Boaz for a greater redeemer, one who will redeem not just a family, but a people. And we don't have to wait long before we meet the second Redeemer in our passage. After around nine months, we meet Obed, the one who serves. Verse 13 says So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. This is not presented to us as a run of the mill birth. It seems that Ruth had struggled with infertility. Chapter 1 told us her previous marriage had lasted about 10 years until her husband Mahlon died. And yet no children came along in those 10 years. There was a problem. But here we're told the Lord enabled her to conceive. Redemption for Naomi and her family wasn't accomplished just because Boaz paid the price and then married Ruth. The Lord himself had to intervene to produce new life. And he did. A child is born and the Lord gets the praise. Verse 14, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. The woman here prays the Lord because he has given Naomi a redeemer. And the redeemer they're talking about here is not Boaz. It's the child. We've seen throughout this book that Boaz is not a young man. He may well be closer in age to Naomi than he is to Ruth. Ruth. And so he may well die before Naomi. But Boaz's death is not going to bring an end to Naomi's rest and security because the child is a redeemer too. A little later, we're told that his name is Obed. Obed means the one who serves. Boaz, the redeemer, took care of the legal details to save this family, he paid the price. And now, Obed the Redeemer will ensure rest and security for this family. In verse 15, the lady said to Naomi, He will renew your life or your soul, and He will sustain you in your old age. Naomi came back to Bethlehem bitter and empty. But now God has brought life and joy and fullness to Naomi and Naomi opens her arms to receive God's provision. In verse 16, Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. This baby she's caring for will grow up to care for her. Obed is a true redeemer. He serves. He does more than just buy his people. He renews and sustains his people. Obed teaches us what a true Redeemer is like, but he is not the Redeemer. How do we know that? We know it because the writer of the book is bursting to tell us about a descendant of Obed who redeemed all Israel. Verse 17, the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this is the third redeemer, David the king. The elders of Bethlehem and the crowd at the gate of Bethlehem and the women of Bethlehem, they all prayed for a redeemer from Bethlehem, one who would redeem all Israel. And their prayers were answered. The next two books in the Bible, First and Second Samuel, Tell us about the rise and the reign of King David. King David from Bethlehem. He was the greatest of Israel's kings. In fact, to this day, his reign is commemorated in Israel's flag, the Star of David. David's reign was a golden age in Israel. He united the people, he defeated their enemies. And he radically extended Israel's territory. Second Samuel says that through David, the Lord brought rest to the land. And David led his people well. He led them in the worship of God. Of the 150 Psalms in our Bible, 72 of them are attributed to David. And his great ambition in life was to build a temple for the worship of God. David was a true redeemer. He established a good, peaceful, God-honoring reign. He brought blessing and security to all Israel. David teaches us what a true redeemer is like. But he is not the redeemer. He was a flawed man. He committed murder and adultery. And yes, he repented And yes, he was restored, but his failures left a legacy. After his son Solomon died, the kingdom split in two, and the nation descended back into chaos. David couldn't bring lasting redemption. When the Old Testament ended, God's people were still waiting for the Redeemer, The one who would buy them back from their misery and renew them and sustain them, even as he ruled over them as their king. The New Testament begins with Matthew's gospel. Matthew wrote his gospel to men and women who were waiting for the Redeemer. And this is how he began. These are the first words of the New Testament. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. Son here means descendant. And in this genealogy, we find some familiar names. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And skipping a few lines, we come to Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And skipping down towards the end, we find Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Like some of his ancestors, Jesus was born into scandalous circumstances. But even while he was still in Mary's womb, an old priest called Zechariah knew that the Redeemer had come. This is what he prayed. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Jesus went on to bring the full redemption that even David hadn't been able to bring. He died on the cross to buy his people from their sin. He paid the price to deliver us from emptiness and from death. And now risen from the dead, he serves his people every day, sustaining us, speaking peace to us, interceding for us. He serves us, and yet he is not a servant. He's the king of kings, and he will reign forever. Those who belong to Jesus are blessed in the present and secure for all eternity. If you don't know Jesus as your Redeemer, come to him today. You'll find life and rest for your soul. The book of Ruth is not in the Bible as a bit of light relief. It's not here because it's a nice little romance in the middle of a dark, ugly period in history. The book of Ruth is in the Bible to point us to the Redeemer, the one greater than Boaz and Obed and even David. They were good men, but they're long gone. They can't save you from your sin. They can't give you peace in your soul today. They can't give you an eternal future of rest and security. Only Jesus can do that. He is the Redeemer. If you're a Christian and you've begun to look to other things to fill you and calm you and satisfy you, then come back to Jesus. Only Jesus has what you're looking for. We're going to praise him as we sing, O perfect love, and then I will glory in my Redeemer.